0: Good morning. Uh, my name is Bryce Hales. I'm the pastor here at Resurrection OC, and uh, it's great to be with you this morning. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter one. And if you didn't bring a Bible, um, there are blue Bibles on the ground uh, near you, and uh, you can find Romans chapter one on page 939 in uh, in those blue Bibles. Uh, there are there are three uh, things that we say uh, are kind of at the heartbeat of who we are as a church: the gospel, beauty, and vulnerability. And uh, this morning, as we are relaunching our church, um, we are going to just take a look at what do we mean when we talk about the gospel. And so, I'm going to read a a short passage in Matthew, or sorry, in Romans chapter one. And then we're going to talk about it a little bit together this morning. So would you stand with me? Uh, It's our practice here at Resurrection OC to stand when we uh, read God's Word out of honor and to give deference to God's Word. So listen to these words, Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. The Apostle Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Will you pray with me? God, we've just read uh, this passage that may seem uh, familiar or unfamiliar. There's a lot of religious sounding words here. I pray that uh, these words would come to life as we give our attention to them this morning. That um, we would see Jesus for who he is and what he has done for us. That we would leave here with renewed hope because you are uh, for us. Because the gospel is true. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. may be seated, please. So last Thanksgiving, my, uh, our family went to Hawaii, or actually our entire extended family went to Hawaii to celebrate my parents' anniversary. And uh, Hawaii is great, it's always great, the only problem is getting to Hawaii. And um, some of you know, my wife and I have four kids. I don't know if you've ever tried to travel with four kids, It's awful. (laughs) Uh, Getting to Hawaii with four kids means you wake up early. You drive to LAX. you got to find off-site parking because it's too expensive to park at the airport. So you shuttle to the airport. You get through security. You try to not lose any children. You get on a plane where it's, you know the first thing that happens when you get on the plane is the in-flight entertainment system goes down. By the time we landed in Hawaii, we'd been traveling for about three weeks, I think, and I was just exhausted, and um, my nerves are shot, I'm worn out, and I'm the kind of person that when I get stressed, I tend to kind of get laser-focused on details. And so we go to the rental car place, and I know we've still got to drive about an hour to where we're staying, after we get the rental car. So we get the rental car, we get the key, we go out to the car, get the AC running in the car, get the kids in the car, buckled in, get the bags in. But then you know they give you the thing where you gotta check to make sure that like where's the dents and scratches on the car because they're gonna charge you for that. And in my stressed out mode, I'm like, I'm gonna go over this car with a fine tooth comb. They're not gonna get me on any of these (laughs) things. And uh, so I go over that, I do it all, I get in the car, and the AC is blowing like hot, humid air. The AC is not working. Like, we cannot survive for a week in Hawaii without uh, air conditioning. So I go into the rental car place, they give me the key for another car. It turns out it's the car parked right next door, right next to the car we're in. We move the kids over, we move the bags over. I go over that one with the fine-tooth comb, hop in the driver's seat, and the AC is pumping out hot, humid air. I'm going, at this point, I'm like, okay, the chances of two identical cars parked next to each other, I mean, both of their AC units, like, break. Pretty low chances of that happening, right? What in the world is going on here? So I'm kind of going through these steps. I'm so frazzled, I'm like, how do you turn on the car again? Uh, Turn on the key. I couldn't figure it out, okay? So I go get the mechanic, he comes back out, he goes, sir, If you want power, you have to turn it on. I had one of those key fobs. You get in the car with the key fob and the lights go on, the stereo goes on, the AC starts pumping. But you have to push the button to turn the car on. (laughs) (sighs) I'm convinced of two things in life. Life is good and life is hard. And good things don't work without power. And when we're talking about the gospel this morning, what we're talking about is power. Paul says that the gospel is the power of God. You know, we may, uh, many of us look at our lives and there are things that we want to change, but we don't have the power to change them. A couple examples. I want to lose, what's the number? 5, 10, 50, however many pounds, right? I know what I need to do. Like, eat less, stick to the diet, uh, stick to the uh, exercise routine. Like, it's really simple what needs to be done, but I don't have the power to do it. Think about the way that we uh, talk to our kids sometimes, and we lose it with our kids, and we say, I will never do that again. And then a few days later, we do it again. I don't have the power to change. I talk to people all the time who say, uh, my marriage is heading in a bad direction. I can't do anything about it. My priorities are out of whack, but I don't know how to change. Or I need a new job. Or I want to stop looking at pornography. I don't want to drink so much. But I don't know how to change. I mean, what are you, what are you going to say to somebody who says that? Here, I got a book for you to read. Or uh, just try a little hard. It's like we are throwing a cement life preserver to somebody who is drowning. We think that change comes from education or trying harder or voting for the right politician. But the truth is that none of those things have the power to change us. None of these things have the power to change us. But I've got good news for you this morning. Did you expect that after the last minute or two? (laughs) There is good news for us in this passage. I want to I show you uh, two things in this passage to help unpack this, the, the nature of the gospel, the good news that Paul is talking about in this passage. Uh, and the first thing that I want you to see is this. The gospel is good news about what God has done. The gospel is good news about what God has done. It is not good advice about what God wants us to do. If you were to ask most people living in America today, say you go up to the Irvine spectrum and you shove a microphone in somebody's face and you say, what is the essence of Christianity? What do Christians believe? They would tell you that Christianity is about being a good person. Um, and there are different ways that we, different people talk about that. Some people think about uh, Christianity as, um, you know, it's about working hard, it's about uh, taking care of your family—it's about not having to depend on anyone else. It's about following the golden rule, the Ten Commandments, being a good neighbor, being nice-ish. <coughs> Others of us think, you know, being a Christian is about being generous. It's about moving overseas to serve the poor. It's about uh, advocating for the oppressed. It's about befriending the, the lonely. And the truth is that those are all good things, but none of them is is at the essence of what it means to be a Christian. As Christians, I think there's a sense in which we've taken something that is really quite simple and we have made it into an overly complicated thing. Do you know what a Rube Goldberg machine is? Uh, Rube Goldberg was this artist who drew these cartoons to to illustrate accomplishing a really simple task in an overly complicated way, like a really elaborate mousetrap, right? You with me, have you seen one of these? So this is a a description of Rube Goldberg's self-operating napkin. I should have put the picture up, but hopefully this communicates it to you. Imagine a picture, this is a face, a guy's face with things around, and this is the description. The self-operating napkin is activated when the soup spoon A is raised to mouth, pulling string B, thereby jerking ladle C, which throws cracker D past the parrot, E. Parrot jumps after cracker and perch F tilts, upsetting seeds G into pale H. Extra weighted pale pulls cord I, which opens and lights automatic cigar lighter J, setting off skyrocket K, which causes sickle L to cut string M and allows pendulum with attached napkin to swing back and forth, thereby wiping your chin. Okay, there's a much simpler way to wipe your mouth, right? Okay, And I think that we have come to think about Christianity in a very similar way. But the essence of Christianity is the gospel. It's about what God has done for us. And yet, if you ask the average Christian, what is it that you believe? Their face goes red. They start, well, I don't know. That's a really really hard question to answer. I get that it's a very personal question. I get that it's a very deep question. But it's actually a very simple question. It's a very simple response. The gospel is about what God has done. It is good news, not good advice. The Bible says that the heart of Christianity is the gospel. The word gospel in Greek, in the original language of the New Testament, is uh, evangelium or euangelium, which means good news. Eu is this prefix that means good. You know, people talk about eustress, which is good stress. I don't really know what that means, but... That's what you mean. It means good. But the next part of the word is angel, right? A-N-G-E-L. And uh, what is an angel? An angel is a herald. An angel is, is, is a messenger. An angel is a, is a being with news to tell. Um, think about the Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. An angel is someone who comes with good news. So the gospel, the euangelion, is good news. The gospel is something good that is being proclaimed. It's good news about what God has done, it is not good advice about what we should do. It is not instruction about how to live a better life. Have you ever been at the place in your life where things are tough, maybe works hard, maybe you're, you know, I don't know, romantic relationships are struggling, you get together with a friend and you're just looking for somebody to commiserate with you. And they begin telling you what you should do. They begin giving you advice. They tell you their story. This is what I did, and I fixed my problem. I hated when that happened. Like, that is so depressing, isn't it? Um, There's a huge difference between good advice and good news. This last week, I was having um, lunch with a friend, an older guy, and um, he he was saying, he was telling me about what happened. He says, You know, as your body gets older, things begin to happen that you don't like. And he said, My left leg, like, just goes numb sometimes. And as he said that, the table next to us, this guy turns around, and he says, you need to lose weight. <laughs> the guy was a doctor, which I guess gives you permission to. Like, was, is that good news? <laughs> it might be really good advice. The doctor explained that as you get older and your gut expands, it pinches the nerve, or I don't know. It's probably true, but it was not very encouraging. Right? It was good advice. It wasn't good news. My friend said, I've been trying for like 10 years. I don't have the power. The essence of Christianity is news. God is not telling us what we should do. He's telling us what he has done. Okay, That's the essence of the gospel. But what is the substance? What is this news about? Well, the second thing that I want you to see in this passage is this. The gospel is about righteousness that comes from somewhere outside of ourselves. The gospel is good news about righteousness that comes from somewhere outside of ourselves. Uh, Now, what does that mean? Well, the word righteous is not a word we tend to use a lot in our world, is it? Uh, If if anything, we we talk about being self-righteous, which is not a compliment. (laughs) Somebody says, that guy was really self-righteous. They're not saying that he's doing a really good job, are they? Uh, Righteousness is about being right with someone. Um, And in the context of the gospel, in the context of the Bible, it's talking about how can we be right with God himself, with the creator who gives us life and sustains us. Um, Righteousness is about being right with God. I mean, think about it like this. If if I owe you money, then I am not right with you until I have paid you back. (coughs) This is why um, we know what it's like to not be right with somebody. You know, if we've, if we've offended somebody, if our relationship's on the rocks, you'd go out of your way to not drop off the kids at school at the same time. Because you don't want to run into this person that you are not right with. Or if I uh, hurt you, I want to know, how can I make it right. right? That's what righteousness is about. It's about being right with someone. It's about being right with God. And the gospel... This essential message, the heart of Christianity, is the announcement that God has come into the world to make us right. Okay, God has come into the world to make us right. Think about world religions. Every world religion is about how can we be righteous? How can we be right with God? And If you go into any church or synagogue or temple, you open up any holy book, what you will get is a list of expectations, a list of rules, a list of ways to become righteous. The thing that makes Christianity different than other religions is not that Christianity does not care about righteousness. That was maybe a triple negative. (laughs) Let me say that differently. World religions are about how to be right with God. The thing that makes Christianity different than every other religion is that Christianity says that there is a way to be righteous that does not depend on you. Do you understand what I mean? Um, Every religion says if you want to be right with God, you must do these things. You must observe these laws. You must follow this path. Christianity says somebody else earned a perfect record of righteousness for you. To be right with God, you either produce your own righteousness or you receive it from somebody else. You either have a perfect record to show for yourself or you receive the perfect record that someone else earned. I want to tell you a story about how this works. Um, Some of you, if you've been around our church for a little while, you've probably heard me tell this, but I don't know a better way to illustrate this. Uh, Halloween 1997. I, uh, I grew up in Laguna Beach, and on Halloween 1997, I was 17 years old, and I was at a friend's Halloween party up on Newport Coast and we were hanging out and somebody suggested it was like 10 o'clock at night which was kind of late for us to be out as teenagers and somebody said hey there's a I don't know if it's a Coco's or a Denny's at Fashion Island and I'm like let's go up to let's say it's Denny's let's go have dinner at Denny's and I drove this um, VW van again was my first car it was awesome because all my friends could pile in and so everybody gets into my van and we drive up to Fashion Island and to go to Denny's. And when you go into the center, you know the center. You go in. There's a kind of this long driveway that you've got to go down and then around to get to the parking. And the Denny's is like right here. And so as I pull into this. Um, center we're kind of having fun goofing around and there's a little walkway like pedestrian walkway that goes up and over that curve and so being a dork i just pulled up and over the sidewalk right instead of going all the way around and as i do that we park we're getting out of the car and i see blue flashing lights from the far side of the parking lot speeding towards us (coughs) like this is oh i'm so dead like i start i go through my i'm going through my head like my parents are gonna kill me you know getting a phone call at 1030 at night from so they roll up, it's, it's a mall cop right mall cop, mall cop comes over and he kind of he looks me in the eye, he kind of looks down he looks back up, and he goes, hey next time could you just drive all the way around It's like, yeah, okay, I'll do that <laughs> yes sir, and he gets in his car and leaves and I'm like I can't believe that I got off like the hook what, what just happened there well, what happened was, I told you it was Halloween, and for Halloween, I was dressed like a Navy fighter pilot. <laughs> I was wearing my dad's hat from when he was a fighter pilot in the Navy. I was wearing his flight jacket from when he was a pilot in the Navy. I was wearing his boots from when he was a pilot in the Navy. And this mall cop gets out and looks at me, and he thinks that I'm a Navy fighter pilot. <laughs> he lets me off the hook. Now think about what is going on there. I did not leave home to go join a fight. I didn't train. I didn't sacrifice. I didn't suffer. I didn't leave the comforts of home to travel to a faraway land. I didn't do any of that. All I did was put on the record of somebody that did. And friends, that is exactly the way that the gospel works. See, the story of the Bible is that the human race... Rejected God, we turned our backs on him, we divorced him, and we walked out on him. And instead of giving up on us, God in Jesus, Jesus leaves his home and he travels to a distant land. And he suffers on our behalf, he sacrifices, he gives himself up for us. He lived a perfect life. And he suffered the death that we deserved. And in doing so, Jesus earned a record, a perfect record of righteousness. And the gospel is the news that you can put on his record through faith. Faith is this mysterious word. Nobody really knows what it means. I'm a person of faith. I'll tell you what faith is. Faith is trusting in Jesus' record instead of your own. Faith is saying, I go before God. I go before other people, trusting not in what I have done But that there was somebody else who was perfect on my behalf. Friends, do you know why the church in North America lacks power? I mean, Paul's saying the gospel is the power of God. Why does the church seem so inept, so limp? If this is the power, the the reason the church in North America lacks power is because we have accepted a truncated gospel, a shallow gospel. In my um, experience talking to Christians, people who say they believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, roughly half of those people believe that we need to earn our own righteousness. Roughly half of Christians in North America believe that the Bible is a list of rules, stories, good morals, and so we have to try hard to obey them. We kind of got to ignore the ones we don't like. And what's the result? The result is that we are insecure. If we think that we have to earn our own righteousness, we cannot listen to anybody tell us that we have a chink in the armor. And so we're insecure and we're petty and we're defensive. We can't take criticism. Roughly half of all Christians would say, I'm trying, I'm doing my best, but there's no power. The other half... Uh, the other half of Christians say, I believe that Jesus died on the cross to forgive my sins. He canceled my debt, and that is true. But it's only half of the gospel. Um, it's only half of the gospel. If Jesus died to cancel your debt, you no longer owe a debt, but you are back at zero, and it is up to you to earn the favor of God. Think about it like this. If you were, um, Imagine you get a call from your bank one day. Bank says, hey, come on in, we need to talk to you in person. This is not going well. You get there, they're like, have you seen your balance lately? You are so far in debt, you are so hopeless. You are never going to recoup this debt. So here's what we're gonna do. We are going to cancel your debt. We're gonna forgive your debt. Now is that good news? It's pretty good news, right? And you walk out of the bank broke. You have zero in your account. How do uh, broke people live? We live scared. You can't be generous if you have nothing to give away. You've gotta fight for everything you think you might get. So we still have to build our own record. But imagine the bank manager says, look, we've been watching this for a while. This isn't gonna turn around just because we forgive your debt. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna add your name to my line of credit. So you now have an inexhaustible line of credit at your disposal. You no longer have to earn your righteousness. Friends, that is the gospel. On the cross, Jesus pays the penalty for our sin. He cancels our debt, but he does more than that. He doesn't just pay for our penalty. He actually gives us his record. On the cross, he doesn't just pay for us. He exchanges places with us. Why is Jesus on the cross? Jesus is on the cross because of what we have done. He takes our record upon himself, and he gives us in exchange his record. His perfection. So that means when God the Father looks at you, if you are in Christ he sees not what you have failed to do but he sees what Jesus has done for you. I believe that every one of us is dying to hear somebody tell you tell us, you're okay. We long to be told, you're okay. I love you. You're doing a good job. I'm proud of you. I see you. I know you and I want you. Every one of us longs to hear those words. Every one of us is seeking to hear those words, and there are two ways that we can look for them. There's the way of self-righteousness that says, I don't accept charity from anyone. I can do this on my own. I don't need your help. Or there's the way of the gospel. A Christian is someone who has responded to the gospel, saying, I'm going to put on the record that I didn't earn, and somebody else earned it for me, and I'm just going to put it on. Only the gospel has the power to change our hearts and our relationships, our families and our church, our schools, our cities, our country, our world. Only the gospel has the power to do it. Why? Because, I mean, think, think about this. How do you respond when somebody criticizes you? Say somebody who knows you well comes and, and, and um, tells you something about yourself. <laughs> Let's say your spouse, you know, uh, What do you do do when your spouse criticizes you? Hey, you are not a gentle person. I've been told. Well, you know what? I'm not going to say this over that way. (laughs) Well, you know what? You're really bad at apologizing. Um, Okay, when somebody criticizes you, we just throw it back at them. Like, the fact that you can't apologize does not mean that I'm kind and whatnot, you know? Like... understand what i'm saying um why can't we just apologize because if we're trying to produce our own righteousness we will always have to defend ourselves and when somebody else points out a flaw in us we respond by pointing out a flaw in them but the gospel the gospel is taking criticism the gospel is hearing the god of the universe say you will never do this on your own i did it for you And all of a sudden you have this record of righteousness that comes from outside yourself that doesn't depend on your behavior. And so when somebody comes and criticizes you, you can respond by saying, you don't even know the half of it. It's much worse than that. It doesn't surprise you that somebody would criticize you. The gospel has the power to prevent us from being offended all the time. I'm taking my life into my hands by saying what I'm about to say here, but... Uh, we live in a world where we can no longer talk about anything that matters. Everybody is offended by everything all the time. Uh, have you been on the internet recently? <laughs> I, am, I am shocked at how often I hear something like this happen, where I will make just an observation about something, and somebody responds by saying, that's what's wrong with uh, Republicans, Democrats, uh, whatever, you know, which side of the spectrum you're coming from is is not exactly the point. Um, You make an observation about the world and somebody says, yeah, that's the fault of 50% of the human race. Um, The gospel has the power to prevent us from being offended by everything all the time. We don't have to be offended when somebody disagrees with us. Let, Let me just be clear. I'm not criticizing your political views. I'm just saying that the way that we hold them lacks the power to persuade anybody. Because the gospel allows us to see the good in somebody that we actually disagree with. So we can recognize their humanity and treat them as human beings even while we disagree with them. The gospel has the power to change the proud. The gospel has the power to give confidence to uh, the person who feels like life is always just beating them down. The the gospel gives us the power to accept ourselves. Man, isn't that a fascinating thing? Some of us say, you know, I know God forgives me, but I just can't forgive myself. As if I have higher (laughs) standards than the God of the universe. You know, it's an arrogant statement that sounds like humility. The gospel has the power to allow us to receive the forgiveness of God. The gospel has the power to allow us to forgive other people. Um, If you've got to earn your own record so that you know and God knows and everybody knows that you're good enough, then you will struggle to forgive anybody who wrongs you. And whenever anybody hurts you or offends you or wrongs you in any way, you will carry that hurt around like a debt that they owe you. And you will cash in on it behind their back by maligning them, or by distancing yourself from them, or cutting yourself off. Only the gospel gives us the power to forgive. And what I mean by forgive is not excuse, because there are real wrongs in the world. Um, about a year ago, uh, you probably saw this in the news, the news that uh, broke um this trial about a doctor in the uh, U.S. Olympic gymnastics training program who had abused and horribly wronged hundreds of young girls and women. And in the trial, just the heinous, evil things that he did came to light. And yet in the middle of that, there was a glimmer of beauty when a young woman... Named Rachel Den Hollander, who was the first woman to um, go to the police and um, and make it known that this man, this doctor, was abusing young girls. Um, she gave her testimony, and at the end of the trial, when he had been convicted, the judge gave her the opportunity to face, um, to speak to, to to this man who had victimized her. And this is what she said to him. She said, should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing you. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet, because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. I pray you, you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so that you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. Only the gospel could allow you to look somebody who has so badly wronged you in the eyes and say, I forgive you. And the gospel is the only, you think that guy is going to be right with God based on what he's done? It's only if somebody wipes the slate clean that we could ever be right with God. Only the gospel has the power to change us Because the gospel is the power of God himself. The gospel is not what you must do. It's what God has done on your behalf. And it is powerful. And let me finish by simply saying this. um, The gospel only works in community. And that's why we gather together every week as a church. To tell this story about what God has done. You know, we, we we take it from a little bit different angle every week. But this is why we're here, because, you know, at this moment, I believe this with all my heart. And by tomorrow afternoon, I've forgotten. And I need you to remind me of what's true. And I need you to call me out when you're, when you're looking at me and saying, you say you believe that the gospel is true. And you don't need, you don't need to earn your own righteousness. But Bryce, you are defensive. <laughs> need to like you need to be reminded I need to be reminded of what it is that we believe. Many years ago um, my wife and I uh, we went to grad school in Scotland and um, you know um, Scotland's a great place many wonderful things about Scotland but it's crazy because they drive on the wrong side of the street and after a lifetime of driving on the right hand of the street if you've ever tried it is incredibly difficult. To, uh, to all of a sudden just decide to drive on the left side of the street. And so the first time I ever drove a car when we lived in Scotland, we were driving from Aberdeen, the north of the country, down to um, St. Andrews. And um, I got in a car. I'm on the wrong side of the car, driving on the wrong side of the street, shifting in a manual transmission with the wrong hand. And it was one of the most um, intense experiences of my life. We're driving down... it. The freeway, you'll drive down the freeway in the UK and there'll be a roundabout in the middle of the freeway. Now, I live in Ladera Ranch, so I'm now an expert at roundabouts. But you take those at like 15 miles an hour, right? Taking a roundabout at highway speed with multiple lanes of traffic, it's the most intense thing I can remember doing. And at one point we're driving down and Ashley says, how fast are you going? I'm like, I don't know. I can't take my eyes off of the street to look at the speedometer." <coughs> And we get off the freeway, and we're pulling into St. Andrews. It's this little town, and I'm going down a two-lane road, and I turn onto another street, and there is a car coming right at me. And I go, what is wrong with this idiot? And my wife smacks me and says, you're on the wrong side of the street. (laughs) The deep default pattern of my driving is to drive on the right-hand side of the street. And no amount of knowing that I should be on the left allows me to easily drive on the left. And the same is true of the gospel because the deep-seated default pattern of the human heart is self-righteousness. And no matter how much I stand up and believe and explain to you the goodness of the gospel, I need you in my life to whack me and say, you say this is what you believe, but you don't live like it. So that's why we gather every Sunday. The gospel is the good news about what God has done It has the power to change you. It has the power to change your family. It has the power to change our church. It has the power to change our world. It's about what God has done. There is a righteousness that doesn't depend on your efforts. It comes to you through faith in Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this announcement. These incredibly good words that Jesus, Jesus was perfect on our behalf. God, I pray that uh, this morning that you would move in our hearts to confirm the truth of this passage. God, I pray that um, for those like me who have heard these words many, many times, that the gospel would be real in our lives that we would be able to recognize our need of you our need of community our need for people to come alongside us and encourage us and correct us and God I pray for anybody who has never trusted in Jesus God would you help us to look at the beauty of who he is and what he has done on our behalf and put our trust in him this morning God would you change us would to change us into people who don't need to defend ourselves because the God of the universe is on our side in Jesus, we pray.